Welcome to Airbnb with D. This is your host, Devana, and today's episode is all about finding your ideal customer. In order to make the amount of money that you're hoping to make according to your business plan, your projections, or even numbers you've given your investor, you have to be intentional. So let's talk about some of the types of people that you want in your unit, what that looks like, and create an ideal customer for you so that you know how to furnish, decorate, market, and do everything you need to do to attract these people. Your customers are the lifeline of your business, so you need to know them pretty closely. And by completing a detailed description of your ideal customer, it gives you a clearer picture on what moves you should make, what things you should even have in your unit, and maybe even the locations that will reap the profit that you're looking for. You also should be clear on their pain points. What do they struggle with? This includes their demographics, their hobbies, family, education, job, salary, interest, and behaviors. Think about it this way, guys. We started our own company and we're hoping to make millions of dollars from it, right? Even if you don't start off at 1 million a month, You're hoping to make enough at least to what? Quit your job? Supply your family with enough income? Whatever it is that you're desiring this for, in order to achieve this, we have to know the people that we're looking to as customers. We have to know their pain points. And it's a little bit of market psychology. We have to know what they're looking for, right? So when we're talking about our our, our ideal buyer, that's also a customer avatar, a buyer persona, or a customer persona. So you only need to focus on one person. And I know that's a little different, right? Because when you think about starting an Airbnb, especially if you are entering a place where you're corporately leasing, starting a corporate lease agreement, you may even notice that you use the play like, hey, you know, we're going to target travel nurses. We're going to target doctors, X, Y, Z, right? But the thing is, that's a group of people. In order to create an effective ideal customer strategy and an effective marketing strategy, we have to reduce this to a type of person, right? It doesn't mean that this type, this type of person can be amongst these type of people, but we still have to reduce it to one person only so that we are crystal clear in our vision, our communication, and actually we're hitting the money on who we get to book our unit. So when defining our ideal buyer, we have to focus on the reason that it focuses us to go deeper, which is because we have to understand their habits, their preferences, so that we can serve them better and make our units according to the people that are going to be booking $300 per night. So who am I serving? So these are questions that you need to ask yourself before you even consider who you want to target. These questions are going to help us to understand what we should and shouldn't offer, and to whom. Okay, so I want you to get a notebook, get a notepad, and make sure that you are ready to write these things down because these are the questions that you're going to ask yourself or your business partners that you guys are very clear on who you're serving. So stay tuned for our next segment. serving? What is your niche market? Will you be serving luxury travelers, travelers with pets, honeymooners, boat lovers, empty nesters, the hearing impaired, visually impaired? 
will you be servicing uh, comic lovers, ladies only, guys only, traveling with disabilities, golfers, kids friendly, fish lovers, corporate travelers, traveling nurses, wine lovers, veterans, what and who will you be serving? And once you can hone in on those types. So for example, I'll give you a very practical example. If you know you are getting a a home, right? You maybe you got a private owned property you see and you are looking to now create your ideal audience. I'm going to tell you your ideal audience may not be someone with pets right off the bat. Because for one, these properties, especially privately owned properties, if they're not brand new, they're older. So if you're brand new, this is a little differently. But even if it's brand new, people are a little less willing to have pets in their home than an apartment. Apartment complexes are built to last, but they're built to also be repaired. This is why one work order will resolve most of your problems, right? But if you're in a home, if a dog happens to have a chewing problem, it's not as easy as putting in a work order and just getting billed by your company. It's a little bit more complex, like hiring a contractor, maybe having it the entire bottom part refinished. These are things you need to think about. Who is it that you want to serve? Now, on the contrary, someone may say, well, the reason why they want to host someone with pets is because hosting pets can gain you a lot of money. In the extra charges or extra services field on the Airbnb app, we're allowed to charge whatever we want per pet, right? So even if you put, there's a $300 deposit per pet, $400 deposit, if you are decorating your space for your ideal guest, and you also know that your ideal guest may happen to have a Pomeranian, maybe they even have a Frenchie. These are expensive dogs. I don't know if Pomeranians are expensive anymore, but let's just say Frenchie, right? If there's someone traveling with their Frenchie, maybe they're coming for a dog show, they're selling, they're a breeder, they're going to want a certain type of living quarters because they have money, right? But then they're also going to want their dogs to be accepted because their dogs are their children. For the people that have dogs that are their children, animals that are their children, it is okay to charge them for them babies, right? When we go out of town, we have to buy flights for our kids if they're over a certain age. Even if they're little and they can sit on your lap, nowadays they still make you get an extra ticket. So it's okay to completely consider these things so that you are pricing your units correctly, getting them in the location, and gaining the profitability that you want and deserve. So what is my level of knowledge on this topic? Just because you don't know about a certain market doesn't mean that you can't, that it's not the perfect market for your business. So I speak to so many people all the time. They let me know, hey, especially in Atlanta, right? You know, I'm starting an Airbnb. I'm not seeing as much money as I want per night. I thought it was going to be really booked up. And I said, well, you got to understand Atlanta is extremely saturated for um, Airbnbs. However, during this time, there is an extreme need for monthly stays, right? A lot of people's credits were jacked up during COVID. People have evictions on their records now that they didn't have. Um, Maybe they don't have all of the income needed to secure their own place in the furniture, or maybe just maybe because the rental rates are high, it's even cheaper renting a room out than getting their own place. Whatever the reason, we need more spaces like that. So you would have to determine, okay, If I am looking to um, make a certain amount of money or or let's say you yourself have a surgery planned or a trip planned and you know, okay, I need enough money to get me this by this date and then I need it to sustain itself while I'm taking a break or I'm resting. 
this needs to be a part of your business plan. So this is where we introduce the long-term travelers. If you don't know much about it, go ahead and search midterm stays and really get acquainted with just how many people are looking for places to stay for three months at a time during this working season. What's my biggest frustration? This could be so many different things, depending on where you're starting, if you're starting alone, if you're starting with limited funds, if you're starting with limited support, if you're starting with um, painful guests, because that's very sad too. It's nothing worse than getting your unit all ready and your first guest being a negative Nancy. And it has happened to so many people and that guest has completely robbed them of the experience of hosting a new person because of the attitude that they've come in with. Whatever it is, write your biggest frustration down so that you can come up with a game plan to combat that. So next, in a perfect world, I would already know how to. So consulting with so many people has taught me that in a perfect world, everyone would know how to do everything. I've spoken with more people who who beat themselves up for what they didn't know how to do rather than realizing it's just only their responsibility to make sure they get it now, right? Whatever reason you didn't get it before, we can't speak on, but as long as you're getting it now, you're doing a great job. Give yourself a round of applause because there are some people that are choosing to even know that they have access to this information and not use it. There are people that know that they can join a group coaching and mentorship that I provide and just simply won't do it, even though they know they need, that's the missing link that they need to connect, right? There are people that just won't schedule the consultation call, even though they know that's probably the last piece that they need because they just don't want to. You are not that person, right? You are doing the things that you need to do for your business. So in a perfect world, you would already know how to do what? Automate your systems, enter the hospitality business, find locations that allow Airbnb, run a successful Airbnb, whatever that is, make sure you're writing it down because this is going to help you communicate to your staff, your partners, or even yourself what you need to do next to make this happen. A big one for me is what limiting beliefs am I working through? Are you the type of person that hates entrepreneurship because everyone you saw start a company quit, failed, or whatever? Are you the type of person that was raised on a nine to five corporate America grind? So starting a business of your own is not only scary, but it's foreign. And it's not only scary and foreign, but maybe it's not even supported depending on where you're coming from. Who are you? What are you working through? And let's write that down because there's the difference between limiting beliefs and weaknesses, right? A limiting belief is something that you typically think in your own head that holds you back from your progress. A weakness or an obstacle is something like, well, hey, maybe you're in a city that needs a permit and you haven't filed your taxes in years and you realize this is what you need in order to get your permit. That's not a limiting belief, baby. That's real. Go ahead and file them taxes. You'll get that permit, okay? (laughs) All right, so what am I insanely passionate about? What makes you happy? And it doesn't have to be an Airbnb. It could simply be The income that you gain 24 hours after a guest checks in that allows you to get your kids new shoes, get their hair done on command. It could also be meeting new people. It could also be providing shelter and accommodations to people that were otherwise, you know, afraid to travel, providing 
accommodations for the disabled, whatever it is that is your market, what is it that you are insanely passionate about? Let's write that out and find a way to incorporate this in your day-to-day tasks. If you are someone that is not passionate about communication, you need to hire an assistant to respond to those guest messages because they are going to come. Airbnb does rate you for your response time. So let's just know what we need to know and do what we need to do going forward. What's my biggest fear? So many of you I've consulted with said your biggest fear is that the unit will not be booked and you will end up in debt or you will end up evicted and this would all have been for nothing. You have to sell your unit. And this is actually a fear. So if this, if that's your biggest fear, write it out. If your biggest fear is that your partner will leave you in the middle of this by yourself, write that out, right? Because if that's your biggest fear, then maybe you've been given some signs that the person is teetering or on a different level, and maybe you guys can bring in an assistant to help ease the load for you. If your biggest fear is that you'll start a unit and it won't be successful, then let's make sure we're looking at all the analytics possible to make sure that that doesn't happen. We're looking at alltherooms.com. We're looking at airdna.co if you want. We're looking on Airbnb.com if you want to. We're doing what we need to do to make sure that you are not uh, succumbing to your biggest fear. And what's your pain? So I'll be honest and share one of my pain points. Oh my gosh, this is really a pain for me because I just prayed about this. One of my pain points is that I have not yet been blessed with a friend or a partner, significant other, that is as invested in me and my business as I am. So as a woman and as a investor myself, this has been quite painful for me because it's been painful but revealing. So I'll say it's been painful because I've had to break free of what I thought support should look like, right? I thought support should look like this. I thought when you get your man, they should want to do this for you. Your best friends, when they see that you're pursuing this, they should do this. But the truth is, God has actually been revealing to me that he's the only thing that I need right now. There are some lessons that I have not yet learned that I need to. There are some opportunities that will only be for me that he needs me to trust him on. And if I can't see that my number one supporter, my number one cheerleader is God and that my number one guider is God, then he's still got a little bit more work to do. So that's why I say it's been painful but revealing. The painful part is breaking free of the limiting belief that support can only come from my quote unquote best friend or my boyfriend, if that makes, or my mom or my sister or my daughter. That's been my pain, breaking with the limiting belief because change is not always something that feels good, but it's something that's necessary to happen. So I can say once I really broke free with the fact, listen, God gives you dreams and visions that he doesn't give other people. Once I realized that, and then once I realized that I can also go to God on these dreams and visions that he's given me, these companies he's given me to start, these podcasts he's given me to start, right? The people he's called to listen to me. I can actually go to God and communicate and say, God, what do you like me to do next, right? You can't really do that with the person that I thought is supposed to be my partner, right? My mom, my daughter, my sister, Honey, I'm breaking curses. I'm doing things that were never done in my family. So while it may have felt a little painful to not get the support in what I was looking for, God had to reveal to me 
that I need to stop looking for things and what I'm looking for and take it for what he gives me. And I want to give that same thing for you. Opportunity comes in the way that it is presented to you. There were a few um, people that I had that I would consult with where they were about to launch a unit in a restricted place. Even myself right now, looking at a five-bedroom property, but it is bound by an HOA. So traditionally, when people are looking to start their Airbnbs, they're wanting to do like, you know, daily, nightly rentals. And if they get some midterm stays, that's great, right? So it can be discouraging or deterring to a new host or to a person with a specific way that they think it should happen if they have to rent 30 days or more. But an investor that's truly looking at the income will say, hey, if this makes more sense or can make more money, I'm open to doing whatever I have to do because my goal is the income. My goal is not just to look like I have the income. So what would make me not work with myself? This is a very important one because I can just name these for me. And if you're a part of the Airbnb with the Facebook group, this PDF that I'm actually speaking to you from is actually posted in the group and it is a fillable PDF for you to even put in your own answers and get your own understanding and clarity for your company, okay? So some things that would make me not work with myself is my inconsistency. I can be, oh, this feels so liberating. I have a problem with inconsistency when it comes to certain things because I like to do things that make me feel good. I like to do things that that, that I get a reward for. So if you're looking at my biggest pain point, right, which we were just talking about, is feeling like I'm not supported doing everything alone, then that means typically 99, 95% of my day, the things that I'm doing are only things that I can do or people higher than me can do, right? Okay, so if I know that I like to do things that make me feel good and 95% of my tasks are things that I would not be recognized for, not appreciated for, no instant gratification, then that means I'm probably not going to want to do them. Maybe I'll want to do something else, post something else, record something else other than what I should be doing because it feels good to me, which can come off as inconsistent. I remember I tried to commit to even recording podcasts at a certain time every week which would seem so easy to you, Monday, 9 p.m. Keep in mind, this is my business. This is my podcast. I can pick the time. I can pick the date, y'all. I can do whatever I want. And here I am, can't even consistently record per week on a day. Now, I do come consistent with episodes for you because there is so much to talk about in this industry. There is so much to learn, so much insight to gain, so much experience to give off, so many warnings to give, you know, and so many changes. But... I can't come on here at a certain time every week. And I can. There is nothing in my life physically holding me back from committing to a day and recording. It is an inconsistency in me that I'm working on, guys, because we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I don't know. You may be perfect, and that's good for you, baby, but I'm not. So that is an example of something that would make me not want to work with me if I see, oh, she does this, she does this, but she told me every Monday to check here at 9, and when I check sometimes, I don't see anything. I want you to get as honest with yourself as I just got with you about myself. Because it is when you're honest, you can write these things out 
and also maybe even understand why certain investors are not eager to jump in and hire or invest in you or certain people are not eager to make you a part of their programs, right? Or a part of their classes. It is what are you giving off? So that's important to think about. What questions would you find in my search engine history? Oh my gosh, this is my favorite because any of you know that know me or have listened to this podcast know that Google is my boyfriend. That's another thing God showed me. You got support. You got the best man you can have. You got me and Google. What, what do you want, right? Google is my best friend. So what type of questions should you find in my search engine? Can I tell y'all guys about a story that pissed me off about one of my closest friends this was years ago? So as you are entering entrepreneurship, it's extremely important to heal (laughs) because not only will life challenge you, but entrepreneurship may even open old wounds, bring things up in you, or even have you mismanaging your business because of things that have happened to you that are unrelated to the business, right? So I had, this was years ago, I had a chip on my shoulder, right? A bitterness almost where I felt like I was used up. I felt like there people would only come to me to get all the information I had, had no clue this was a gift, guys. So of course, God has helped me see this is a gift. This is not something you rob and hide from people. But I had gone through a lot of things and had survived a lot of trauma and pain. So you're talking about a young lady who was guarded, you know, shelled from self things, you know, just a lot of crazy stuff to now a more free woman, a mother, right? So before I would feel like people were robbing me. I felt like my information was all I had. As you know, I came from not much, very poverty background, abusive background. My research was all I had. I was one of the first people in my even school to ever have a laptop. My dad, or not a laptop, a computer, a desktop. My dad is so super brainy so super technical so he made sure I had all the gadgets the cell phones everything right so Google I don't even it wasn't Google back then whatever it was Microsoft AOL wherever it is that I can look up information I Microsoft Vista I remember those things when we have to put the disk in the computer and put the code in to get internet access, guys, remember when it was dial-up? If your mom got on the phone or was on the phone, you couldn't even get on the internet. It was crazy. During those times, I'm researching, researching, because I'm coming from nothing. I'm coming from nothing that I can duplicate, emulate, or understand right now. But I do know that there is something inside of me that won't let me stop elevating, growing, or being curious. And that's God. That's the Holy Spirit. He's left the advocate in us. So what information would you find in the search engine history? My friend asked me, and this is a friend that was very, you know, I don't want to say this. This is a friend that would not admit when you help them. That's all I'm going to say. So she comes to me and she asks me, oh yeah, you know, I've been doing all this stuff for my business. I've been doing all of this work. And you know, I'm so excited. I got this, this, this done. But I meant to ask you, um, because uh, I know you went through this already. So, like, when you did what you did, you selected LLC, right? And I'm just looking like, I said, are you asking me what type of business structure you, you should select? Like, what kind? Should it be like an LLC? No, I'm saying, like, no, I did everything I needed to do. I Everything is finished, but I'm just saying, when you did yours, did you select this? 
And I said, well, you know, you select this based off what you plan to operate as, not what your friend did, right? Okay, see now, you know what? This is why I don't ask you nothing. Don't worry about it. This is why I don't ask you nothing. I'm like, so here's the thing, guys. I actually was offended because I was carrying some past trauma around. (laughs) While this question that this friend asked me is not a question that I feel like a business owner that truly researched what they wanted would have asked this is a friend and it was no reason for me to get that offended but that's because I didn't understand my gift so I say all of that to say I want you to understand your gift I want you to write things these things out and be honest with yourself because you could be being aggravated by something that you're anointed to resolve you could also be holding yourself back from things that are completely in your reach in your grasp because you refuse to dive deeper so I want you to know both, but long story short, the questions that will find you will find in your search engine in I'm sorry, your search engine history are things that you want to freaking know. Stop going to other people first to ask stuff you want to know. If you want to know why you should be an LLC, you need to be researching that. If you need to know what cities have a permit for Airbnbs, you need to be researching that. There should never be a time where you are not typing in Google something you want to know. Even if you are unable to find the answer, you have searched. Guys, I can't tell you how many people refuse to even go to Google and search. If I had a dollar for every time I ask someone, oh, did you look at it on Google? And they say, oh, no, not yet. I was going to look. Y'all, I'm mortified. How dare you ask another human before you ask a resource, in my opinion, because this is what you have to understand. People be lying. Maybe y'all ain't grew up around no liars, but baby, I grew up in Chicago. I'm used to people just lying about anything. The sky's green, yellow. They got money they don't get. They rappers they ain't, okay? So the thing is this. They live the life they ain't. Half these little rappers y'all hearing in Chicago ain't even did half the stuff they said they did. So the thing that's crazy is how can you even trust that someone else will have the great intention for you and your business that they would tell you the steps you need to know to be who you need to be. You can't trust that. So you have to begin to want this more for yourself than you want other people to to want it for you. The questions that should be in your search engine history is anything you need. If you don't have a business plan, you need to be searching. What's the quickest way to make a business plan? If you don't have a property, you need to be searching for properties. Remember, even if you don't find what you're looking for, the fact that you're trying shows that you're doing more for your business. And what is motivating me to solve my problem? The problem that you are determining, that you're realizing, that you're having, what is it like to work with me? What is my pain? What will make me not work for myself? What is motivating you to solve and to know these? Maybe it's to be the first millionaire in your family, to take care of your children, to have a, to live a life that you don't regret. Whatever that is, I want you to write it out, get comfortable with it as we begin to do our self-analysis in the next segment. Okay, so this is our self-analysis segment. We complete a self-analysis so that we know what we need help with and what areas who we should hire, right? Every part of a successful business plan is a team, an approach, a strategy. 
We need to know who we need before we're making RAS decisions on inviting people into the company or even giving people access that they don't typically need. So the first question I like to ask myself is what is my strength? What fires me up, right? So I know that my strength is corporate communication. I have an eye for detail. I have an eye for location. I'm able to communicate, get negotiations, contracts, and it fires me up to do that. So I know that, all right, if I'm hiring someone, I can handle this and use my resources for this because I actually enjoy this. And maybe I'll get an assistant to handle something else, right? Maybe I would even make sure that I do these tasks first. If it fires me up, there are some people I know that they love administrative tasks, building businesses, creating the EIN, the LLC, and even starting a company, helping other people do the same. If you're able to self-analyze that you love that portion, then you'll see that there is a profit in your passion. All you have to do is explore it. What am I most complimented for? So again, I'll give an example of myself. I'm often complimented for my communication and my articulation and my my attention to detail and my ability to get whatever I need to get done. Me knowing that, I'm going to make sure that that's one of the strengths that I list in my SWOT analysis. We know that a part of your business plan is your SWOT analysis, which stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Whatever you are most complimented for, that's going to go under your strengths, okay? What do people most ask me for help with? This is also like your strength. People also ask me to help research things, to help research properties, to help communicate with people. What response should they say to a person? These are things that they typically ask for my help with. I'm good at. Again, it goes along with the communication. What do people ask for your help with, right? And what do you truly hate doing? Whatever you hate doing, let's put this on the weaknesses let's put this on the threats let's put this on whatever because the thing is the thing that you hate if you are not a person that has discipline it will end up being a thing that costs you in the future for example one of the things that i hate um, when you're scaling and growing properties is if you do not hire an assistant to hire to handle all of your guest communication do not hire somebody by property don't try to be cheap guys don't do it Make sure all of your um, list, your bookings are listed on the same profile, they're linked, that your co-host and your assistant have access to it completely. Because the craziest thing is you could totally disqualify from Superhost from even going down 10% in your response time. Even your response time is something that will hold you back from winning Superhost status. So that is something I want you to write down. If you hate doing something, let's write it out and have a plan in place so that you are not reaping any negativity from these things, right? From them not being completed by you. So let's ask yourself three key questions. What kind of customers do you want to work with? Do you want to work with, there's an income level that I'm gonna discuss with you on our client, our ideal client avatar. And these are things that you should know just to ask yourself how much money you should be able to make. Who will be benefiting the most by working with you? And who can afford to pay for your products or service? So we ask ourselves these three questions as we're creating our ideal customer list. So I'm gonna go ahead and give you a little bit of my ideal customer list to help you figure out yours. So what we do is we take the time to dig deep and to start thinking about who we want to attract. Knowing our ideal customer will help us understand how our services help to their needs and how we can help to solve their pain points. So gender. 
Are you looking for both? That's what I'm looking for. So I put both, right? The age. I'm actually looking for someone 21 to 64. Now, you may have a unit that's perfect for 18-year-olds. You may even have a unit that's suitable for children. Airbnb has an option where you can select if your your unit is suitable for children. You can just select that, right? I don't like those. It's not that I have a problem with children, and it's not that my place isn't suitable. It's just I'm not wanting to commit to the outlet covers, the sharp corner covers. I'm not wanting to commit to that, so that's not on my ideal list, right? Because it's also an extra liability for me as well. So my location, this is, of course, wherever you decide to start your unit. So this is going to be self-explanatory. You're going to start where you start, right? Education level. What education level would your ideal customer have? I put college level. I'm going to be honest with you. We're dealing with booking accommodations. We're dealing with extra guests, people wanting to throw parties, lodging. We're dealing with insurance if anything happens, right? These are huge liabilities. I want someone who knows to articulate why they are staying, how long they'll be staying. I also want someone responsible. Now, am I saying that someone is of not college level? Is not those things? I'm absolutely not saying that. But what I'm saying is the majority of a, of a out of a statistic or a survey given that we can research on Google anytime, right? These groups of people tend to handle business a little differently. And if you are opening luxury units, you are opening units even in privately owned homes, if you deem a certain class to be responsible, that's on you and it wouldn't be discrimination. Now, here's the thing. We don't know who the heck has graduated college or even attended college when they are booking our space. But remember earlier when I told you when we're looking to make our ideal customer um, chart, We're going to have a person in mind so that we can appropriately market to them, right? So income level. This is where I want to discuss the different levels of income and maybe even things you didn't even know. This information is being brought to us by gapminder.org. So I want to let you know how the world categorizes rich or poor. In the reality, most people fall somewhere in the middle. Our basic needs being food, water, shelter are met. But to help build a more accurate view of how people live their lives and change as we get money, the world breaks people into four levels. So level one is made up of people who earn less than $2 a day and live in extreme poverty. These are people that are even considered unemployed. And again, just because somebody unemployed don't mean they in poverty, baby, all right? Because we see all that stuff going on. But this is how it's categorized, right? Okay, so level one is made up of people who earn less than $2 a day and live in extreme poverty. Level two is people who earn between 2 and $8 a day, which is almost half the world's population, lives at this income level. So if you know someone that's making between 2 and 8 I don't know what jobs would be paying that um, at this time because I know even... Fast food have raised their minimum wage, but it is possible. These are level two. Our level three is made up of people who live on between eight to $32 per day. This is what they're making, you know, per day, not per hour. This is per day. So the richest billion people on earth live at level four where their income is more than $32 a day. So if you see, I'm not saying per hour, this is per day what people are making. So if you're making $8 per hour and you're and you're working five hours a day, you're making $40 an hour. So you're at level four. This is not saying that you have a lot of money or not, but if you are able to know what income level people are at, you know who you wanna serve. 
So obviously we are not interested in, and oh my gosh, how do I say this in a marketing way? You have to have the difficult conversations with yourself and your company to know that you're not excluding people, but you are hoping to attract a certain type of people. So you may want someone that is employed. Now, can you tell their employment status who's booking? No, but you certainly want to know what type of things you want to put in your unit that people can appreciate. There are people in certain situations right now that can't even you know, appreciate certain things because their mind isn't there. I know myself, before I experienced finer things, I didn't appreciate them. I thought they were beautiful, but I had never experienced it. So all I seen was something on TV. I didn't, that didn't mean I knew how to govern myself once I got in it. I still had to learn how to be protective of things, how to realize, oh my gosh, when you're in an expensive place, we're using expensive china, um, silverware, we're going to make sure we're not leaving any water staining on anything. We're going to dry the marble so that it doesn't chip or crack or damage. These are things that you learn when you're around other things, right? So you have to determine what level that you want people in, in your unit, and then go from there. Occupation. Do you want them to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, unemployed, right? We just talked about that. Whatever it is you want, this is the time that we put these things in here because we're going to know how to solve their pain points once we know who we're dealing with. Generations. What generation do you want them to be, right? If you are building a space that is accommodating, handicap accessible, then you may actually be okay with the baby boomer generation up to age 76, you know, 58 to 76 in there right now. If you are someone that's like, ah, I'm just opening a regular unit. I want someone to just travel. I really want people to just rent it on the weekends and party. Then you may be creating a space for millennials in the generation Gen Z, iGen, Gen Y. You may be creating a unit for them then, right? But then there are those of you that say, no, my unit is actually safe for children. It's suitable for kids. And then you're looking at Gen Alpha, which there are babies right now. So you have to determine what space you are creating, who is it safe for, and then build it off of that. We know that based off each generation, there's going to be even a different type of design theme that we're looking to see in each place. So this is why this is something you should know. Are they a homeowner? This is something that's important for me that I love because I love to go into apartments and corporately lease, right? While homes give you your own space, they often don't give you the top-notch quality amenities and pools that you get with apartment complexes. So I love going into the downtowns, the midtowns, the cities, making sure we're getting the rooftop pool, all the amenities available to the guests, because even if they have a home, their home don't have this. And if it did, they wouldn't be staying at my Airbnb. They would be staying at a five-star hotel that's equivalent to the travel accommodations that they're used to. So this is all marketing for us. When we think about even homeowners like a, a nice break, think about some people's homeowners. When you go into your aunt's house, your mom's house, your grandma's house, and look at their bathrooms, right? I love to get units that have the walk-in showers and, of course, the bathtubs in the second bathroom, but the walk-in shower experience, because truth be told is, unless your home is recently remodeled, you don't have that now. You just have a standard tub or a garden tub. People want the glass experience. Put a candle in there. Let them imagine what it'll feel like to be able to even record something, put it on their Instagram, their Snap, something they can't do at home. 
That's why we make sure our units are clean, our bathrooms don't have any mold or mildew, because these are things people see in their own home. They should be feeling like a hotel when they come to us. What are their hobbies and entertainment? And are they interested in sports, wellness, and fitness? This is important because, so I have one client where they have a three-bedroom property, and so one of the rooms, they decided they wanted to make a game room. And this game room to them was installing an arcade game, and that's it. I mean, it was it. Oh, and a flat screen to be able to see the game on the TV, right? That was it. Um, so there's no extra games. There is no extra controllers. It's just like an old-school arcade game. So this is the thing. If this person were looking to attract a game enthusiast, then this unit would piss them off naming it game room and them only seeing an arcade game, right? Because they understand that's not a game room. A game enthusiast would understand that, right? But if they were to um, maybe market this as family-friendly unit, and then the kids happen to come across that room with the game, they're like, hey, that's cool. This is my room. We want to play this game all night, right? then that would then be a benefit to them. So you have to know what your target audience is interested in in order to not inappropriately market and cost yourself money and reviews. A game enthusiast looking at this game room would maybe have a negative review. I was looking forward to this when this person said game room and then I was you know, sadly disappointed to only see this outdated version of a game, right? But then you say family-friendly unit. Someone says, this was truly the unit we were looking for. Our boys were able to play the game all night quietly in their soundproofed room, and we had a great time. Thank you so much. This is contingent upon the response that you want. So it is important to know.